0: Well, for many of you, uh, Jim Wood does not need an introduction. He has been a staple of our summers for many years, always bringing an encouraging word. Growing up in Montreat, North Carolina, Jim Wood preached his first sermon at the age of fifteen, and was very surprised when he looked out into the congregation to see Reverend Billy Graham sitting there, listening to his first sermon. Later, he would go on to serve as director of mobilization for My Hope America with Billy Graham. He would pastor different churches from Cape Cod to Atlanta to Tennessee. But the dream that God gave him as a teenager was to start a home for children from families that were in crisis. And that dream came true when Jim and his wife, Susan, started Wares Valley Ranch back in 1991. From its founding, the ranch has operated debt-free and without government funds, relying on God's miraculous provision and demonstrating the power of God through answered prayer. Jim maintains an itinerant preaching ministry, filling pulpits, speaking at conferences and retreats. And he also has a radio program, a weekly radio program called Abiding in Christ. Jim and his, and his wife Susan have authored 14 books, and they have seven children and 10 grandchildren. Give a warm Apostles welcome to Jim Wood.
1: Thank you so much. It is always a joy when I get to worship with you and when I get to preach also. Well, that's an extra treat, so I thank you. I'm, I'm very grateful to be here My wife had intended to be with me, but she is home with strep throat, and I would love it if you'd pray for her, because she's been taking antibiotics for a week, and it's not knocking it out. So we need the Holy Spirit to come along and just finish knocking it out. Um, Meanwhile, that's actually appropriate for what I'm going to be talking about today. Uh, Years ago, in my first church, we established something that we would do subsequently in other ministries, and that was... We established a Reformation celebration every October 31st, because as you all celebrated last fall, the Reformation is a really big deal, and Christians ought to be excited about the opportunity to educate the next generation and those older folks who don't know about the truths of the gospel as they were rediscovered in Reformation history, but... um, as part of our celebration, we encouraged the children. We didn't want to just take away the whole idea of wearing a costume. We said, come as a a figure from church history or a Bible character, and uh, we'll have a party, lots of candy, that kind of thing. But we're going to talk about the Reformation. Well, I, I wasn't sure exactly how this would go over. We were renting a facility there in the town of Chatham on Cape Cod, and a lot of people came. We'd publicized it, and we'd told them, how to dress, and, uh, but you never know what's going to happen. Dick Tracy might show up, you know, it's just, you never know. Well, one little boy came in, and uh, he was, it looked to me as if he'd been trick-or-treating somewhere else and just decided, here's another chance to get more candy, because he, he was like a mummy. He was bound in gauze all the way from head to toe. And I thought, oh, we got a party crasher here. And I went over to him and I said, so, who are you supposed to be? And he looked at me like I was the biggest idiot in the world. And he said, Lazarus. Right, good job. You know, we're familiar with the story of Lazarus. We've all heard the name. We know that he died and Jesus brought him back. But um, sometimes we forget some of the details, don't we? Um, I don't think anybody here, if you're asked to name your favorite Bible character, would be likely to name Lazarus. I mean, I could be wrong. You can correct me afterwards. But uh, most of us, he's not up at the top of our list. And, And if you think about, you know, who would you like to be like? We don't usually think Lazarus. But let me read from John chapter 11, verses 1 through 44, and then we're going to talk about what God has told us in His Word. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 44, and this is God's Word. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you were going back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better." But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. "'Where have you laid him?' he asked. "'Come and see,' they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, "'See how he loved him.'" But some of them said, "'Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying?' Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes. And let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. I don't think most of us would readily sign up to live the part of Lazarus. I mean, it's really cool to be brought back to life except the part about having to die first, right? You've seen the sign in front of some of the little churches that say everybody wants to go to heaven but nobody wants to have to die. We just don't want to die to get there. Well, I look at Lazarus' life and I see a guy who probably had more than a few disappointments. As best we can tell, he was a single guy. He may have been a widower, or he may have never married. But he lived in a home that's described as being the home of his sister. It was the home of Martha. That's the way it's described in the text. You read Luke. He lived at his sister's house. You got the picture? They didn't have video games back then. But he lived at his sister's house, single man, no kids, just his two sisters living there in the house, and Martha's in charge. That would be a humble position to be in. But Jesus loved him. And then when Jesus began his ministry, he called together his disciples and chose 12 to be the apostles. And Lazarus didn't make the cut. You ever thought about that? I mean, Jesus loved him, right? So how come he wasn't picked for the team? Now, you may have never experienced that in your life. You may have always been team captain, quarterback, whatever. You may have been the beauty queen. You may have been the one that everyone wanted to go to the dance with. But the fact is there are a lot of people who stand there waiting to be chosen and the call doesn't come. You may be like a friend of mine who has been looking for a pastorate, and God has allowed him to be the number two choice at about eight churches. Lazarus did not get chosen to be one of the 12. I just want you to let that marinate, okay? Marinate. Marinate. Just let that sink in for a moment. Because some of you know what that feels like all too well. And in those times when it hurts that somebody else got picked again, you may feel like maybe God doesn't love you. But Jesus loved Lazarus. Jesus loved him. And he still wasn't chosen to be one of the 12. We don't know a lot of the details of Lazarus' life. This is the big story. This is the central story about Lazarus. And what we learn about him at the beginning of the chapter is he's sick. That's no fun. But he's not only sick, he's seriously ill. In fact, he's in danger of dying, but his sisters tell him, we're going to send for Jesus. You know he loves you. You know that he heals people. We've seen the miracles. We're sending word to Jesus. And Lazarus lay there getting worse. And Jesus didn't show It wasn't because he was too far away. It wasn't because he had some other pressing engagement. He chose not to come. And Lazarus is lying there, labored, breathing, wondering, when's he going to get here? I know they got word to him. Where's Jesus? Folks, if you've never felt that way, you're probably anesthetized. If you live long enough, you will go through things and you will wonder, where's God in this? The disciples would ask Jesus one time while he was sleeping in the boat, Lord, don't you care that we're going to drown? Martha would ask Jesus when she was busy in the kitchen and Mary wasn't helping, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I believe I'm safe in saying, if you know the Lord, not if you don't know the Lord, that's a whole other subject, but if you know the Lord, Haven't there been times when you wondered where he is? Why he's not doing what you think clearly God alone could do and he could do it so easily? And why doesn't he do it? Where is the Lord? Why doesn't he show up? Lazarus died waiting for Jesus to come. Now, see, I would not have written the script this way. I would have maybe let him get sick, you know. Maybe maybe even get to the labored breathing stage. But then Jesus would come in and boom, everything changes. That's what Martha had in mind. That's what Mary had in mind. And no doubt, that's what Lazarus had in mind. But that's not what happened. Jesus deliberately waited until Lazarus was dead. And buried. And then Jesus came. Oh, I thought Jesus loved him. Jesus does love him. So Jesus is just late? No, he was right on time, just not their time. He only did what the Father told him to do, he only said what the Father told him to say. God's timing is not like ours. And God's plan for us is often not what we would script. Amen? So if you want to learn some lessons from Lazarus, those are two very important ones. But then when Jesus shows up, he meets with Martha, he meets with Mary, and then he says, Show me where you have buried him. They take him to the entrance to this burial cave, and Jesus says, roll the stone away. And Martha, always commander-in-chief, says, oh, no, Lord, not a a good idea. There's going to be a bad odor. He's been in there four days, okay? I mean, he's really dead, And Jesus said, I told you, if you believe, you're going to see the glory of God. So they roll the stone away, and Jesus issues a command, and that is, Lazarus, come forth. And many preachers have observed that he had to say, Lazarus, come forth, or the whole cemetery would have emptied. Okay? Jesus commanded Lazarus to come forth, and Lazarus came out. And when Lazarus comes out, he's like the kid on Cape Cod. He looks like a mummy. He was not dressed for the occasion. He was dressed for burial. So he comes out, bound from head to toe, and Jesus says something. He said to them, Loose him and let him go. When a person gets saved, we pass from death to life. But most of us still have a lot of grave clothes. A lot of stuff that pertains to before we were brought to life. And that stuff binds us and keeps us from the freedom that God calls us to in Christ Jesus. Our counseling center at Wares Valley Ranch has this text as its theme because our first hope for the people that we counsel with, is that they will come to know Jesus because a lot of them don't know Jesus. By the way, thank you for not only supporting us financially but sending children from here in Atlanta to Wears Valley Ranch because it is a joy to get to minister to these kids and to see some of them come to faith in Jesus Christ. But our goal in the counseling ministry is also that after they come to know Christ, and now there's new life, eternal life in them, they would be getting out of their grave clothes. And for that, we need some help. You don't just pray with somebody, a sinner's prayer, and then say, well, God bless you. You and Jesus now have a, have a good time from here on. No, when we come to faith in Christ, we need some help from others to get free from the stuff that binds us that had to do with when we were dead. Amen? And so it is the responsibility, according to Jesus, at least in this situation, it is the responsibility of those who are alive and standing nearby to come alongside and to help Lazarus get out of his grave clothes. But there's something else about this that a lot of people don't think about. What was Lazarus wearing under his grave clothes? (laughs) Um, You don't wear anything under your grave clothes. They're grave clothes. And one of the things that happens is people start getting free from their grave clothes. And grave clothes, by the way, can smell bad. Even if the person's come alive, the grave clothes are still dead. you got to deal with some smelly stuff if you're going to help people who are new Christians get free from the stuff they used to be into. But the person who has gotten saved also has to be willing to be vulnerable, to be exposed to be open and honest. This is not an exhibitionist. This is somebody who was dead and is now alive and doesn't want anything to do with what was their past. Amen? Not still clinging to sin and saying, well, that's just part of who I am. No, that's who I was. Read 1 Corinthians 6 and you see this list of people who are not going to enter the kingdom and it says, and such were some of you, but you've been washed. You've been made new. God saves people out of all kinds of sin, but he saves us out of that gunk, that deadly stuff. And so Lazarus gets helped out of his grave clothes by the people who are standing there, and suddenly he has freedom. Now, that doesn't mean that he didn't go put some clothes on, but it does mean that they helped him get out of the stuff that pertained to death. And when you come to Jesus Christ, he doesn't just want to forgive you and you continue in sin. God forbid, Romans 6 says. But you need to be robed in righteousness, not still trying to cover up with the stuff that smells. Another lesson from Lazarus here is not in the verses that we read, but if you know the story, you'll know this. It's an important part. Lazarus' testimony was a blockbuster. Word got around and people came and they even had a party with Lazarus and Jesus there as guests. Wouldn't that be a party to attend? Here's a guy who was recently dead for several days. Now he's back and here's the man who brought him to life. Tremendous. But when your evidence for the power of the gospel becomes clear and powerful, there will be some people who will be angered by it. The religious people of Jesus' day decided if we let this go on, everybody is going to be converted faith in Jesus. We need to kill Jesus and Lazarus. That was the plot. Now, I just want you to consider for a moment the insanity of Satan and sin. Jesus has just demonstrated that he's stronger than death. What can we do? I know, let's kill him. Just just as an onlooker, I'd say that's not a good plan, okay? But that was the plan they came up with. Now, here's the thing. Jesus said before he called Lazarus forth, I told you, if you believe, you're going to see the glory of God. The most important lesson from Lazarus is that Lazarus' story was not about Lazarus. Folks, your story and my story, not about us. Ultimately, everything in creation, in scripture, and in our lives is pointing to Jesus, that he might be preeminent in all things. The point of Lazarus' story was that Jesus is the Messiah and he's stronger than death and no matter what happens and how grim it seems and how hopeless it seems, Jesus conquers. He reigns. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the point of the story. Both of the sisters said the same thing. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Now, Lazarus is not still on the circuit today, or Michael would have invited him instead of me. I mean, wouldn't that be great? Now, our next guest, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) I mean, wow, this guy has been on the circuit for almost 2,000 years, and he doesn't look a day over 1,000. Okay? Okay? Lazarus was brought back to life, but he had to die again. And you and I need to come to grips with the fact that all of us, until Jesus comes, are going to have to die. Dear friend of mine just died yesterday afternoon. I mean, a precious brother in Christ. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. We need to be ready. We need to stop pretending that, no, I go to the gym five days a week. (laughs) Okay. What are you going to die from? because you're going to die from something. Personally, I prefer ice cream over (laughs) bench press, but, you know, that's just me, you know? But, I mean, we're all going to die from something. You understand? Brilliant surgeon in the 1960s who made the cover of Time magazine was speaking to a group at Harvard Medical School. One of the young students, Asked him a question. Doctor, having devoted your life to cardiac surgery and cardiac care, how do you feel about the fact that the number one cause of death is heart disease? He looked at them and he said, what would you like to have as the number one cause of death? Well, oh, I thought that was a good response. <laughs> you see, we we pretend that if we fix this problem or cure that illness or avoid this tragedy, then then we can just live forever. No. No. Lazarus died because Jesus didn't resurrect him, he resuscitated him. He brought him back, he demonstrated his power over death, but the only one who has been resurrected is Jesus Christ, and he lives and reigns forever. And it is his resurrection that is our hope, not Lazarus's. We're not hoping that one day we too, like Lazarus, will come back. No. Jesus shows us something greater. Jesus completely conquered death and hell for us. And as a result, we can live with confidence knowing that death is not the end. Yeah, we're all going to have to die, but that's not the end. Jesus has conquered death. And one day, the trumpet is going to sound, as we sang this morning. And we're going to see, as God calls forth those who have died from the grave, and God calls up with him those who are alive when he returns. The fact of the matter is that Jesus has already demonstrated once and for all the power of the resurrection. And it is that power that is now at work in us to give us the capacity to say no to sin, no to self, and yes to him. He is the one who's changing us from the inside out so that we can help each other out of our grave clothes and walk in the glorious freedom of the children of God. That is why we rejoice. It's not because we hope that because Jesus can heal, we're never going to die. No, it's because the one who believes in Jesus will live even if he dies. That's what Jesus said. Jesus says, everyone, who believes in him will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Not talking about our bodies. A grain of wheat has to die in order for the new to come forth. And those of us who are alive when the Lord returns... We're not going to go to heaven in these bodies. Our bodies are going to be transformed, replaced with something far more wonderful. And the glory of what God has prepared for those who are in Christ Jesus is beyond what we can comprehend. So, when I think of Lazarus, I think about a man who certainly new disappointment, but whose life was choreographed by God to become a powerful, powerful picture for all of us that what the world calls defeat can be a door to victory. You and I don't have to fear death, and we don't have to fear life, therefore. If we're trusting in Jesus Christ, our future is secure because Jesus Christ is alive and Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know everything about each of us in this room. You know where we've been and you know where we hurt and you know what's coming Some have been through very painful things. Some are going through some very painful things. And some of us may be about to go through some really painful things. But Father, I thank you that you are not going to be surprised by anything and that you are at work for the glory of Jesus. May our lives bring you pleasure and glory in Jesus' name, amen.